This is Jerry Fox, and the verdict is in. And I will tell you that, again, if you're out there and you're having a hard time, live in the inner city, or you're an elderly person or a young startup, and the pandemic has whipsawed your company, you don't feel that anybody cares about you. We do. I do. And this podcast is brought to you by Gerard Fox Law, bi-coastal, top-tier, diverse, and it's been diverse, very progressive litigation appellate arbitration firm check us out online and i've promised you guys always promised you guys you know guests that will help you in your life progression guests that will stimulate you and guests that will help your businesses and i have another great guest and this guest is dana baroka dana welcome to the show thanks for having me really appreciate that jerry dana is the CEO of Lighthouse Consulting Services, and his organization constantly stays focused on their mission statement, which is to bring effective insight into your business. Now, that's important. That's a heck of a big mission statement to constantly bring insight into your business. We're going to hear how Dana does that and his company and his coworkers. They do this through the use of in-depth work style and personality assessments to raise the hiring bar. So companies select the right people to reduce hiring and management errors. And I want to pause there for a second. You know, I run a law firm. I represent companies. I can't tell you how often the wrong hire hurts your culture, chews up time, sets things back, hurts your work product or your service. So everyone, if you're running a company, listen up. Listen up with both ears. His company, Lighthouse Consulting Services, can test in 19 different languages provide domestic and international interpersonal coaching, and they offer a variety of workshops, team building, interpersonal communication, stress and time management, sales and customer service training, and negotiation skills, as well as our full service, their full service, business consulting division. Dana has over 30 years, that's three decades, of experience in the areas of business consulting. He is a nationally renowned speaker on these topics, as well as he provides management training workshops and coaching those communication challenges. There are a lot of people who have a hard time communicating to employees or a group. He is the author of the books. Now, you want to get these because I always tell you, read these books because these guests will excite you. Cracking the Personality Code, Cracking the Business Code, and Cracking the High Performance Team Code. These are great books. You'll read, take notes, mark them up. All right, Dana, now that we know that we have you here, I can tell you I run a company. I'm so excited to have you here because, man, you know, you call someone into an interview. And early on when I was doing interviews for big firms, I realized that we were just bringing people in who we thought we liked. We weren't always keeping in the back of our mind what are the requirements for the job. It isn't just someone you want to go have a beer with after work. And secondly, I also realized that the more times a person was brought back, the more that our law firm find this in our law firm, we bring a person back three times and sometimes four because we really want to see what they're about. And it's the third or fourth time that we start seeing traits that are become important. So you don't have this impulse hire. So I wanted to start asking you some very important questions because I personally know what an impulse hire and two ships passing in the night on expectations, what a setback that can be. So let me ask you, you've studied this, what is the cost of a mishire? Anywhere from three times to six times the base salary. It's a lot of money. Yeah. 
it really adds up. And then also what most people don't talk about is the missed opportunity by having the wrong person in because there's training time and cultural issues that can come up. And if they're not a decent fit, it causes a commotion within the organization that has to be cleaned up. So all of a sudden that three to six times the salary becomes even a bigger multiple because now you have to clean up the mess in your company and maybe even with clients if they're client facing. Now, listen up, everyone. If you're running a business, if I told you that you were going to have a loss that was three to six times the salary of the person you're hiring, whoa, maybe you take a step back and look at this hiring process a little bit more closely. When you see a job description for most companies, what are they typically missing? (laughs) Some of them are pretty funny, actually. They have everything according to law. No question on that. Most of them are okay there. But the one thing that's usually missing in most job descriptions are what you want to see as far as performance goes. So companies could set aside a separate document other than just the job description, but this goes hand in hand, where they actually write down a half dozen items, let's say under a 30, 60, 90, 180 day goals and objectives, and put in there half dozen items under each category, what you would expect for them to accomplish in the first 30 days. Because now it's very clear and you can also generate interview questions off that also. But let's say you bring the person on board, they've only accomplished two things out of the six. So now you got to take the remainder and put them into the 60 day. Now it's starting to compile as far as what has not been accomplished. And then after 60 days, they only have done three things. Now the list goes over to the 90 day area. So either there's been complete miscommunication with what the expectations are, which can happen, or the person is not capable of doing those things. It's one of the two. When reviewing resumes, what should the hiring person or manager or the committee be looking for? First is consistency from a date standpoint. Now, some people will say in this day and age, people only last in a company maybe one or two years. Let's take out the pandemic issue. Maybe there's a couple of twos and threes in there, but you should see more stability than that over a greater period of time. Then also the resume, you want to look for typos. Let's say they have to demonstrate a sales position, how they go about selling, and they put in some weird percentages that they've accomplished during that tenure. If the numbers don't make sense, challenge them on the numbers. Even if they do make sense, challenge them on the numbers. Just ask some questions. So you say on the resume here that you increased sales by 300% in X period of time. Walk me through how you did that. Tell me all the details about that. You want to dig into the resume to see what's going on there. Yeah, I'll tell you, we hire lawyers. And uh, we'll see somebody who went to a good law school, started at a very good firm, but then you see this job hopping. And in the law in particular, if somebody's been to four or five law firms in 10 years, you know, that is, is a red flag. Really, you should maybe have a progression where you're with a big firm for three or four years. Maybe you get tired of the big firm, you try a mid-sized firm, maybe they go out of business. There might be some things that explain some of it, but that inability to stay in one place, boy, that, do you see that in workers that they, they just can't stay in any one job? 
We do. I point that out during our debrief of the data from the in-depth work style personality assessments that we do. And usually there's a surprising response from the hiring manager where they'll say, oh, oh, we didn't think much of that. But now that you're bringing it up, they have an average over a seven-year period. They've been at five different firms. And why did you leave? Why? Oh, firm got sold. Firm got sold. Firm got sold. Oh, management was just too tough to work with. We didn't see eye to eye on what I thought we should be doing. Oh, tell me about that experience then. What didn't you see eye to eye on? Get them to open up. Ask for example after example after example. I realized something, so I'm putting myself in this little clinic with you. <laughs> I think when I started interviewing, I wanted the candidate to like us, to like me. So I was doing a lot of selling and less listening and less what I do for a living, asking tough questions. I started to change that. and I found a phenomenal amount of information that was pouring out that really saved us from some bad hires. So do you see companies that are really more time selling themselves in the position than they are asking those questions that are important and then listening? Yes. Matter of fact, you brought up law firms. We've seen a switch in the last 24 months on law firms. Usually it's more they're selling individuals on the firm, great place to work, all sorts of opportunities and blah, blah, blah. Now, law firms that come to us are asking very deep questions of the candidate. Some of them are going out to five to eight interviews with the same person if they like them. The reason for that is they'll start off on a one-to-one, someone does a screening there, and then it will start switching over to panel interviews at that point. Law firms are getting pretty savvy now on the type of questions they ask, how they divvy things up, between who asks what, and they're becoming really good listeners and just not accepting anybody in just because they came from a great school and worked for a big firm. Sometimes the big firm analogy or issue can be they are used to a big organization mentality. And for a mid-size or smaller law firm, that may or may not work. Yeah. So that's where the examples come in is to please draw me an org chart for your last position or whatever position you want of who was up above you to the sideways under you. And then you start asking questions and posing scenarios say, okay, so for this particular scenario that you'd be doing here for us, how would you get that accomplished in this organization using the org chart? It's very tough for a person to get out of answering the question. So they'll go, oh, well, I would go to so-and-so, 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 and so-and-so to get this done. That's fantastic. But let me tell you, we don't have so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. So how would you get that accomplished without that type of uh, backup to assist you? And most will go, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think as a firm grows, it has to have a very clear image of themselves, which I think a lot of companies don't. Like, for example, we are priding ourselves constantly in advertising and talking to clients that we're efficient. So if I bring in lawyers from a big firm and they've been on document production for three years in a big, huge case, or they haven't even filed a complaint, they don't even know how to draft one, it becomes very hard to bring them into our environment where they're expected to be, you know, we don't staff as deeply, but we also expect the lawyer to learn quickly. 
you know, some of them can be very unhappy because there's a missing step. So in our interviewing, we have to pick up on that, number one, right? Like, hey, right. let's look for people who really don't have the job experience. They're going to need to come here. And some people really are shocked and appalled that, you know, that you're a smaller firm and the jug of the water in the kitchen is out. <laughs> The manager might be busy and the receptionist is answering calls. Replace the damn jug of water. So you have to know yourself. Now, prior to the first phone call or Zoom interview or in-person interview, what should the hiring manager do in order to be prepared to interview this employee? And let's also throw in a factor that heightens this question. We're desperate to fill the spot. Right. Okay. Never put yourself in the desperate position because then you'll take a warm body coming in. You just make a rule within your organization that's not going to happen. What does need to happen is whoever is interviewing them, this is pre-COVID, you don't want the candidate to come walking into your office or boardroom wherever you're meeting and then they start to study the resume at that very moment when they walk in. Hey, Joe or Susie, so nice to meet you. Thank you for coming. Offer them water, something. It's part of what should be done out of a courtesy. Make them feel comfortable at home. And also say, hey, you know what? I was looking at your resume and I want to compliment you. This is really laid out very well. But the person has to study and have their questions ahead of time before the person walks in the door. Otherwise, it's not very considerate. It's actually rude. And you're going flying by the seat of your pants and you're going to miss something. So a person has to take time beforehand to be prepared. Yeah. And that's a very important thing. I know in the law firms, and maybe it is changing, you get put on a list that's, you know, six people in a day and you're hitting your own project and Someone knocks on the door, the legal recruiting coordinator, and says, hey, Jerry, I'd like you to meet Alan. And you're like searching on your desk for the resume that you haven't reviewed. And you're like, hey, Alan, how are you doing? Have a seat. You're like quickly looking at school, law, college, law school, what firm. Now you don't have any probing questions. You're just trying to get through the interview. So I can see how important it is that and I think if you're the hiring manager or person, you need to check in on the people doing the interviewing an hour before, two hours before, to say, hey, tell me about that resume. Have you reviewed it? And what questions do you have? Mm. What's your goal? Because if, if you don't check on these people and they're busy in their day, you're going to end up having people who give high marks based on the fact that they, the interviewer, weren't prepared. Right. Exactly. That's wild. And um, can you explain the three-legged stool? That's a concept that you use and talk about when you speak publicly in your books three-legged stool for hiring? We do. And it's a very simple application. Part of the three-legged stool is doing the best interviewing humanly possible. Second thing is doing background reference checking. And the third thing is doing an in-depth work-style personality assessment. They should all match up and all the legs should be matching up so the stool is not going to fall over. But let's say something comes up in the background check then all of a sudden something's off or maybe the interview process or maybe in the personality assessment, it came up or something was off there. Then you need to probe and go back and see what's happening. Why is a stool about to fall over? Easy to remember. Yeah. Now people are warned in this podcast not to have unprepared interviewers, not to compromise the interview process because you really need someone desperately and to have a plan. I think most people understand generally the interview process. 
some people will give the office manager or the recruitment coordinator the background check job. And it's very hard to get anybody to say anything other than no comment. But I think if you go into social media and you go into Google and you look around on the internet, you can find things. Is that correct? That's correct. But what's interesting is, if someone gives you a reference and they say no comment, I have a real problem with that because they're giving you a name of someone and you'd expect that they would be open enough. So one way to get around that is on a reference call. Well, first of all, let me back up for a second. You want to tell the candidate up front three things. First, we want to let you know we do the best interviewing humanly possible because we really care, emphasizing care. We really care who comes aboard. We also do background reference checking. You know, if they don't run out of the room or hang up on the Zoom call or whatever it is, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> and then the third thing is we have the person take a work style assessment. Work style assessment sounds a lot nicer than in-depth work style personality assessment. It just, it rings a little more comfortably. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get to that third leg because I don't think many people in my audience or some may know about that. But And one of the things I found, too, is if you do talk to the candidate openly, I think I learned over the years to say to the candidate, look, you're going to spend a lot of time here, maybe even more time than with your family. And you put a lot of time and money into your education, your degree. So you don't want to come here and be unhappy. And we don't want you to come here and be unhappy. So make sure that you ask us questions honestly and answer our questions honestly because you know you have to encourage the candidate you know everyone's trying to sell in an interview i'm selling the law firm they're selling themselves but you really need to break it down and get to honesty now with respect to the third leg i want you to break that down for my audience okay what is a personality work what is this assessment you're talking about how long does it take the candidate to do is it totally square with the law there's no invasion of privacy. How does that work? Look, can I back up for one second? Yes. When doing a reference check, so you can ask the person, not if you're going to hire them or not hire them, but rather say, we really work hard to set people up for success in our organization. If there are three things that we could do to set them up for success, what would those three things be? Now, if someone says no comment, <laughs> That's, that, you're coming up with something very positive. So there's something wrong. The second thing is that we believe in coaching. If we're going to do coaching with the person, what would be three areas you would suggest that we coach them in and what works and doesn't work for coaching an individual, this individual? So it, it's a very soft, gentle way to prod information from the referral. Doesn't that sound comfortable? Yes, yes, it does. It sure does. And again, I just can't stress this enough. When you're hiring for a job position, you want somebody who is going to fit your culture. So you need to talk about your firm culture. They need to know what it is. We have a very diverse and progressive culture that's open. And we hired somebody who secretly was really not that way. And it was a disaster. And they were, you know, kind of expelled from the environment, made a lot of people feel uncomfortable, and they left angry. And that really, I think, got to get your culture out there. You need to state it pretty squarely. But also, everything you're saying is so important. You just don't want to go into an interview and be like, you connect, you know a person in common, or you, you went to that school, or your kid's going to that school, and suddenly they're your best friend. Because 
that's a nightmare. Right. Because ready to happen. So let's move to this third part, though. I think that's so important. There are probably well over 2,500 different personality assessments globally. And everybody pitches their wares. So the only way to really tell the difference from profiles, and the profile companies don't like this information to be shared, is to ask them, how many primary scales do you have in your profile? How many primary scales do you have in your profile? So for instance, DISC, Myers-Briggs, Predictive Index, they have four primary scales. And the questions can range anywhere from 30 to 60 questions, somewhere around there. Then you start bumping it up. By the way, DISC, which is used by a number of companies for the hiring process, was never designed for hiring. It was designed for team building. So you got to pick the right profile for your needs. Now, on the other end of the spectrum is what we do. We use an in-depth personality assessment work style personality assessment. It has a total of 16 primary scales and with subscales, it's around 140 some odd scales. So we're getting a very clean picture of the individual that you're just not gonna pick up with. Scales act as pixels. You want high resolution when you're interviewing someone. Otherwise, why bother? Now using a four scale profile, some people will do that as a real basic introduction or gathering of ideas. But in order to really know what you have in your hands, you have to have a minimum of 164 questions in order to have a scale called impression management. Impression management gives us a picture of the person. So you can see with something of 30 or 60 questions, or maybe even 112 questions, it's not going to pick up the impression management scale, which is the most important scale on any profile you want to have. So people can fall into three categories on impression management if they go up on the high scale. They could be fudging on their background or experience. They could be very accusatory of other people or like Teflon. They couldn't have possibly done anything wrong. It's everybody else's fault. And the third one is where someone wants to be helpful, but they won't speak up when things head south because they figure in their mind, oh, I'll work out. It will be okay. And disaster is just building and building and building. As far as legalities go, we go straight to the EEOC ADA site all you have to do is plug it into your search engine, and it will tell you what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. To summarize what their guidelines are, and by the way, most states, as far as state labor laws, they refer back to the federal EEOC ADA if something comes up. There's two things that they look for. One is, is there any form of discrimination? So discrimination could be defined as you have three candidates, you've tested all three. Now a fourth one comes along and you go, oh, I've known Jimmy or Susie for, since they were kids and they're great. So I'm not going to do a background check on them and I'm not going to do testing like we did with the others. Matter of fact, we don't even have to ask very many questions like we did the others. That could be deemed as discrimination. The other thing is you don't want to do a medical exam, which is You'd use the MMPI profile for that. The military uses that. Nuclear stations, power stations use the MMPI for all their people. 
especially those that carry automatic weapons, because <laughs> they don't want to just hand over weaponry to a uh, nuclear power employee. So those are the basic rules as far as using a profile. Yeah, those sound very important. One thing I would imagine might drift into questions today are political questions. And my general sense is I wouldn't get into that. We have a progressive, very open firm. So the idea is that your beliefs are going to be respected and we're not going to criticize you. We're going to be adult. We have differences. We can talk about them, but that we're focused on the best person for the job and the best team player. How would you advise companies, maybe they feel that they want a virtue signal and they want to ask political questions. What would you do with political questions? You stay away from it and say that's what we're focusing on here today is a position, the needs that we have for our position. We've had a couple companies since the pandemic and since the Trump days, they would call them the Trumpers. And they would gang up on others that didn't agree with Trump. And it became a mess. And it was usually only two or three people within the organization. So they had to have a talk with them and say, hey, we're politically neutral here. And your behavior is not acceptable, not because you're supporting one of the candidates or one of the presidents. It's not acceptable in our environment because we want to be respectful. Everybody's thinking. And to beat somebody up or speak foul words about an individual who thinks differently than you is not what our culture stands for. Yeah. Well, that's very important. And I would definitely say, look, if you're really far right as a company, you should let the candidate know it because they're not going to want to come into your environment if they're not far right. You're far left and it's really your whole culture. Our culture is built to be embraceive of everyone and respectful of everyone. And you must be that way to come into our firm, period. We're not going to be mean to anybody unkind. There are teammates pulling for each other. Are you a good teammate, a good lawyer? That's all we care about. The rest, we're not going to change your political view, your religious view, your sexual orientation, none of that, because we embrace you as a person if you're a good person and a good lawyer. But other companies have a different setup. What are the key things that the hiring manager should be looking for when using an assessment as part of the hiring process? So I have this assessment of the type you've talked about. I've got the interview notes from the people and I've got the background check. What do I do with the assessment? What am I looking for? So one of the things that differentiates Lighthouse Consulting Services, and I think for any firm using a personality assessment, they should require having the company send to them a copy of the resume and a copy of the job description, because that's what we're looking at. So let's say when someone problem solves, they are very slow like molasses. They're very step-by-step how they do things. They have a black cloud over their head. Oh, things just won't work, blah, blah, blah. And the firm moves very quickly. And they don't have time for someone to mull things over. It's good to think things through, but not mull them over, mull them over, mull them over. So then you'd probe into that. Tell us how one of the biggest issues that you had to overcome or solve within your organization. And then they come back and explain how they went about doing it. Now, we're usually inserted just before the final face-to-face and pre-reference background checking. So then we help guide them as to specific questions to probe into. If there's red flags, they need to validate that as to what's coming up. They could talk to you forever about this, but 
how many questions on an in-depth assessment does it take to get a good picture of a candidate? 164 minimum. Wow, that was a very specific answer. Why 164? Clinically, that's the number. No matter how many, there are some profiles that say, oh, you're like a bunny rabbit or a skunk. (laughs) Those are fun things to do for team building and very encouraged. But for a new hire, you need to have as much information or data as you can get. But the bare minimum from a clinical standpoint is 164 questions. And is that having to do with uh, statistically significant observations or enough data points? Enough data points. Okay, great. Now, I'm going to ask one last question, and you've been great with your time. Then we're going to talk about people getting in touch with you. I know of a company now that if you hire a candidate, part of their search firm, part of their job, they will, with your permission, talk to the candidate several times over the first 30 to 60 days to see whether they are clear on what their mandate is, whether they feel like they're receiving clear instruction, whether they feel like this is the job that was described when they arrived, is there's anything that they can do and they work as a liaison with management for no extra charge to make sure that the person, you know, and they talk to management, they try to make sure that the parties have landed correctly and that if adjustments have to be made, they're made because they also, as your company does, understand the huge cost of making the wrong hire. So I wanted to ask you a big question. What percent of companies do you think actually put the time in that is required to be prepared for the interview to make sure everyone who's interviewing is prepared, that they're not just reading the resume five minutes before, that that you're not just interviewing for somebody that you would hang out with in your free time, but for a very specific person with a very specific skill set and type of teammate. Three, to make sure that you're not just selling your law firm or your company or your software company or your your advertising agency, but that you are listening to very important questions that were well thought out, given to you by your organization to ask. Or you want to make sure that the person comes back in a number of times and that you actually read everyone's comments, that you don't have somebody who likes Jimmy or Sally and they put them in place, or that you're trying to virtue signal so strongly that you're not even interviewing the candidate. Now you have a problem. You have a real problem because now you brought somebody in who you think is desirable to show that you're diverse, but you brought them into the wrong job because you just were so eager to virtue signal and can't get into that political lane. If you're going to have a culturally diverse firm, you better be ready, your company, you better be ready to make it comfortable for everybody who arrives. And then finally, there's this testing that should be done that you might think is invasive, but it's not, so that you can get a fuller view of the person. And I just mentioned that you might want to have the kind of recruiter who follows up and you might want to follow up with a new hire. And Dana, I just would like to ask you in closing, what percentage of businesses do you think do even half of that? Most don't. The companies that are doing a thorough job are ones that I find that are in roundtable groups, such as at the Heroes Club, Vistage, Renaissance Executive Forum, and the CEO Toolbox has a wonderful group because the chairs will bring speakers in and make it top of mind to focus on this particular topic. But most organizations, they're run by the seat of their pants and don't take the time. So, you know, when you bring the wrong person into your company, it's not like a personal relationship. It isn't like, well, I'm right, they're wrong. Yeah, it's just a bad person. They're lazy, they're this. Oh, man, they lied in your resume. They're not who they said they were. None of that does you a hoot of good. You have to actually say to yourself, 
we did a bad job in hiring. Right. And it cost us a lot of money. And I don't think our hiring process is built correctly. So you're out there and you're thinking, God, I have all these employee issues and hiring issues. You want to call Dana. And how, Dana, do people get in touch with you? And read his books, by the way, which I've read out to you. And I'll read out to you one more time. And write this down. Write it down and get these books. Cracking the Personality Code. Cracking the Business Code. Cracking the High Performance Team Code. But, Dana, people need to call you and have a consult and decide how they're going to improve their process of hiring so that they don't waste all that money and time. How do they do it? Let me add one more book. I call it The Bible of Hiring, which we did not write, but a close friend of ours who's an amazing recruiter has. And it's called You're Not the Person I Hired. Again, You're Not the Person I Hired by Barry Deutsch. It literally has everything from A to Z that you'd ever want to have. The way to get hold of us, one more thing. If you do get hold of us and you have 50 or more employees, we will send you a really nice chart that can be used for a group panel interview. And Barry Deutsch has allowed me to share this with others. It's an eight matrix design. So everybody that's doing the panel interview has an opportunity to rate the person zero to four. And what's interesting is that when after the panel interview, everybody gets together and they go, why did you rate them a four, but you rate somebody else rated them a one? What's the difference here? So it's getting to train everybody on how to interview, which is helpful. Uh, huge, huge, huge. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. So again, if you have 50 or more employees, reach out to us. And the way to get hold of me is uh, the uh, email address is Dana, D-A-N-A, at lighthouseconsulting.com, like a nautical lighthouse. So Dana at lighthouseconsulting.com, or you can reach me at Erica 310-453-6556, extension 403. That's Erica 310-453-6556, extension 403. Oh, man, I'll tell you, this is probably for anyone who owns a company, small, big, any type of field. We're coming out of the pandemic, and we're going to make some new hires. And we're also trying to make sure that we're cautious because Man, the pandemic hit a lot of our businesses. We don't need to lose any more money. And we're also very aware of culture. And turnover in your company is viewed as a bad culture. So you have to read Dana's books and get in touch with them. Why not? Why not connect with the man who can save you a ton of money, build a tight team, and get you the person you want to hire, that you need to hire? All right. Dana, I can't thank you enough. Thank you for having me on your program, Jerry. Very exciting. Thank you. And everyone have a great week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.